But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God, and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, the jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. Welcome. I am so glad again that you've come and joined us this morning, that you are worshiping with us and, well, looking to God to be able to do something special in and through you. We have been in the book of Acts, actually for the last 26 weeks. It's the biblical history of the church. Now, this next slide is very special to me. The text that we are in rocked my world when I was in seminary <laughs> way back in 1977. Seminary, for most of you know, it would be considered pastor school, right? You, you go there in order to learn how to shepherd, how to care, how to interpret, how to teach, all these how-to things. Well, being in seminary, when I got to this text, which Paul highlights the nature and the importance of the church, <laughs> that's what I was going to be in, and the role of leadership, something God was calling me back then. This text captured me. But let me set up the passage for you. So many of you have been with us, as I've shared, and, and you're recognizing that Paul right now in chapter 20 is on his way home. He's finishing up his third missionary journey. Wow. Uh, it, it never mentions this in the Scripture. But these journeys were long, and these journeys were hard, and these, these journeys always didn't end well. 
But Paul was faithful and he was trying to get home. And the scriptures tell us that he wanted to get to Jerusalem first. It was quite a ways, but he had some funds and he knew the church in Jerusalem would need them. They'd been going through great persecution and great famine, actually. And he knew these funds would just encourage their hearts. And so he really wanted to get there first. But as the scripture reads, he's on his way. He lands at a port called Miletus. It wasn't far from Ephesus. And, and remember, Ephesus was just, well, probably his, I won't say best church. But how about the church he had the closest relationship with? Maybe it was the most mature of all the churches. He had spent three years there. And so when he stopped at Miletus, he had this, well, epiphany. (laughs) Let me just call the elders. I, I, I just want to see him one more time. We've done ministry together. We were in the trenches together. I, I just want to see them. So he sent a messenger out, and these elders come in a little ways, and they meet with Paul. Now, Paul knew this would be the last time he would see his comrades. So what's a little odd is I'm going to read the last part of our text again just to remind you of what actually happened right before Paul got on the ship. Starting in verse 36. When he had finished speaking, this time with the elders, remember this at the end of the passage, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried. Grown men. Now, granted, grown men, are okay. it's okay for them to cry. Uh, all right, it is. Um, but this seemed a little odd. The leaders of this church, Paul gets done with his farewell speech, and they start bawling. They embraced Paul, and they kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because they had said, or he had said, that they would never see him again. Then they escorted him down to the ship. So the scriptures tell us he kneels, he prays, he hugs, and they walk with him to a ship. So my question is, which we're going to go over today, what is it that Paul said to them that would cause grown men to slobber over everybody? What did he say? What was it? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we're so excited to be able to meet as God's people today, to be able to lift our hands, to be able to talk to you, to be able to hear from you, to be able to allow the Holy Spirit just total access to our place and to our hearts. We are anticipating you, Father, to change us from the inside out. Your word is powerful and your word convicts us and encourages us. And we pray this day, Father, that you would be honored. I pray in particular, Lord, that there wouldn't be anything that I say that would distract from what you want us to hear. That there wouldn't be any idiosyncrasies. There wouldn't be any stumbling. God, we pray that you would be honored in everything today. We know that the gospel transforms people. And we're going to be talking about how wonderful your plan of salvation is once again. Lord, we know that there are other churches in our area and all over our country and world that are proclaiming your word today. Some maybe in giant buildings, but others, Lord, just in living rooms or garages. So God, we pray for them. We pray that you would anoint them, that it would be something special, and that these folks, your people, will be salt and light this week. 
We ask you, dear Father, for a few churches in our area. We pray for Grace Point, who is welcoming a brand new pastor. We thank you for this sister converged church. And we ask you to encourage it. We pray for the chapel, Father, and for Meadowland. And we ask, Father, that you would use the teachers and your word. Lord, I pray right now for our kids' ministry. There's so many of our kids downstairs and so many of our folks who are teaching them. May you give them the ability, Lord, to encourage children at their level. And may they love you more as a result. We know folks are also those who are watching online. Not able to be here today. We pray, Lord, you would encourage them and ignite them. Lord, in every way, we want to please you. So use this time in a way that will, well, break apart maybe some of our, uh, the way we think about the gospel especially, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Bible, as you read it from cover to cover, we find out that there are several important farewell speeches that prepare people for the future. The text we're in today is Paul's farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. These words are used to prepare these leaders for the future. Paul's not going to be there anymore. He wants them to be able to not only eke through, but to thrive, to function, to bear fruit. Paul's outline, well, it's, it's rather simple. He reminds the elders of his story, even though he had just left there. And then he clarifies their assignment. Hey, this is what I need you to do. His words are powerful, not just for elders but for everyone who names the name of Jesus. So if you would, you can turn back in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. We're going to go backwards. We're going to start reading at verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. Acts 20, starting at verse 19. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. You almost stop right there. Paul is sharing that he spent three years at Ephesus humbly serving these people. You, you would think they know that, but, but Paul reminds them. That that's all. And he says, hey, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. Tears. I guess sometimes we don't look at those in the ministry as ones who cry. It's going to be interesting. Tears are talked about quite often here. But, but Paul, a proven soldier, a, a patriot, a kingdom patriot, says, I served humbly and with tears. I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for the Jews and the Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, Paul says, I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. Except that the Holy Spirit tells me in every city, after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. That's not that encouraging. Then verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me. Unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. 
And now I know that none of you whom I've preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I did not shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. Paul starts off and he says, My life is not important unless I use it to finish my God-given assignment. Now, Paul is not saying that his life is insignificant or, or he's been here on the planet and all the things and the kindness or whatever that he did, the ways that he benefited the culture and society. He's not saying everything like that is wasted. But what he is saying is that his life is not important or it will be a poor internal investment if I don't finish what God has given me to do. And then Paul tells us his assignment, and his assignment was to tell others the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. The good news about God's wonderful grace. Now it's hard sometimes when you hear a teacher, when you read through a text like this, and you hear about the gospel. Some of us are a little callous. Some of us are less than excited. Some of us are a little um, not overwhelmed by grace. Maybe we were saved as a young child at four, five, or six. Maybe that salvation experience was so far back that you even forgot. But what got Paul excited is that he remembers clearly what it was to be dead and now alive. He understood what it meant to be separated from God and trying to please God and never attaining all that God wanted to the freedom of understanding how wonderful God's gracious gift of life is. He recognized that that Jesus loved him so much, he didn't deserve it. That Jesus died on the cross for him, he didn't deserve it. That Jesus shed his blood for him, he did not deserve it. It's like we don't. And he got excited to tell people about God's grace. Do you realize that we don't deserve any of this, but God loves us. God loves you. God cares for you. God died for you. I want to tell you about His grace. It's changed my life. It's changed my trajectory. It's changed everything. That's what the gospel did. It changed Paul. And so when Paul says his assignment is just telling the greatest news that ever affected him, I don't think that was that hard. But this was Paul's story, and this was Paul's assignment, and this was the reason Paul got up every morning to be able to be a herald of good news. The scriptures tell us that Paul shared the gospel humbly. He recognized he was just a messenger. He realized he was just a herald. He was just sharing what God had given him. He wasn't responsible for the response. He wasn't responsible to make sure people, well, gave their life to Christ. But he was responsible to share good news. He obediently did this. And we see even over the last three missionary trips that this meant a transient life. It didn't mean that he had a home. He would go from place to place who was uncomfortable. And most of the time, it didn't end up well. I don't know if you've noticed in all the churches and all the missionary trips that, that Paul planted, there weren't great revivals. Have you noticed that? I mean, if we go back in Acts, we, sign, we see Peter, he preaches, 3,000 people come to faith. 
That gets you pretty excited, wouldn't you, man? Whoa, <laughs> that was cool. Never see that coming. This is amazing. Paul, he preaches. A couple people maybe get saved. He gets beat and, and tossed into prison. And whoa, <laughs> this is kind of weird. Like, like God, couldn't I have a little bit of like Peter's stuff? Come on, this would be exciting. But that wasn't Paul. He selflessly served his God. The scriptures tell us he wasn't a burden. He didn't even want to be a financial burden wherever he went. He worked at a job. And later on the text, which we haven't got to yet, but you'll find out he wasn't even affected by greed. He just wanted the gospel to go out. He didn't care whether he was paid or not. He didn't care what the circumstances were. He wanted to tell as many people about the good news. You don't have to stay dead. You can have abundant life. You know what? When you close your eyes and it's going to happen soon because life is so short. You're going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Folks, this is an amazing story. Would you respond? Would you respond? The scriptures tell us also that Paul shared the gospel tearfully. Tearfully. And I think maybe we've all seen these uh, TV preachers at times be able to put on the tears and take them away just perfectly at perfect timing. I'm not sensing this was Paul. In fact, in the scriptures, what I've noticed, there are three things in particular that moved the apostle to tears. And I've got to be honest, tears get my attention. They do. Tears somehow shout that somebody is hurting, that somebody cares, that this is really, really important. As we go through this, I think it's going to be convicting for each one of us. Because I don't know what you cry about, what you cry for. And maybe some of you can't even remember the last time you shed a tear over anything. But Paul says this. He says, I shared the gospel tearfully. The first thing I find when I look at Paul and read through his um, writings, he grieved over the state of the lost. And when they rejected the good news, we find in Romans chapter 9, he writes this, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unbending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I have poured out the good news, the gospel to them. I have shared with them about the Messiah. I have proved over and over and argued forcibly, letting them know that Jesus Christ has come to save you. And Paul says, they've rejected. That there's times he wept leaving the synagogue or the coffee shop or wherever he was on the road. There were tears that came down and said, Lord, break through. I want them to know you. They don't understand what they're missing. Father, please give me words. Give me the ability to be able to represent you well. Help them understand the gospel. You know, for me, it's been a special times at funerals. As you look out and you know so many of those people don't know Jesus. Because certain funerals attacked lots of people that don't know Jesus. They do. And you share and you talk afterwards. And for me, I go home depressed and wondering, God, will you ever break through to those people? 
I don't think any of them ever been part of a church. I don't think they know you. I don't. What about at the hospital bed? When it seems there's just moments, maybe minutes, maybe hours, and you're at the side of that bed, and all all their lives they've rejected Jesus. Sometimes you even get a call, hey, pastor, my brother's dying. Uh, Would you go save him? Save him? How about you? No, I, I, sometimes I think that. But you go in and you share and you look at them and you see their eyes glazed over and you see the hardness of their heart and you share good news and you say, do you understand? It's going to be moments, moments before you see Jesus. Don't do this, please. They look at you. Thank you for those great words, Pastor. Are you serious? You are stubborn. You are hard-headed. Jesus is offering you life. Why? Why? Why would you reject this? Paul came to tears. He poured his heart out. He knew that the blessings of following Jesus and what eternity was going to be like. Please respond. Secondly, just as important, he cried over weak, divided, struggling, sinning Christians. To such believers in Corinth, he wrote this. I wrote that letter, talking about 2 Corinthians, in great anguish, with troubled hearts and with many tears. The reason he said that is that these were immature believers. They were carnal Christians. They were divided. They were sinning. And they were missing out on the abundant life. Paul, you're kind of radical, dude. (laughs) Why would you cry over that? That's just a choice. No. He knew what living with Jesus was like. He understood the power and the authority and the hope. And so when somebody settles for less in the church, in the kingdom, making selfish choice and foolish choice, the tears came. Don't you know, don't you know that Jesus came to give abundant life too? You're struggling, you're scrambling. Thirdly, Paul saw that false teachers, deceivers, dividers were a reason to weep. He loved the church. He said, watch out for them, elders. For three years, I never stopped caring for you. Never let my guard down. Which, by the way, meant tears. Probably because some of those in the church at Ephesus drank the enemy's Kool-Aid. And didn't listen to God. So ministry, if I look at this, is all of the above. It's all of the above. It's a bit like parenting, and so many of you are parents. And parenting is so wonderful, isn't it? Isn't it unbelievable? And isn't it tearful? Isn't it tearful? And there was Paul. Could it also be the physical pain of rotting over and over, the physical pain of getting beating, or the physical pain of suffering, where he just literally cried, his body was hurting? <laughs> I, I think there was some of that. I also think there was emotional tears of saying goodbye again and again and again. 
How many times, whether it's a week at camp or it's a ministry at a church and God calls you somewhere else and you have to say goodbye to the servants and the comrades that you were in the trenches with. Say, I don't want to leave. I don't know why God is calling me. I don't know why this has to happen. It's hard. And Paul says it's part of the ministry of sharing good news. Paul also shared the gospel boldly. Boldly. In fact, this might be what Paul is noted for most. Is that he did not seem to have any kind of fear when he talked about the gospel. And I guess I just have to stop right there and say, well, why am I intimidated? Really? And why isn't he? What do you got, some magic sauce somewhere? You know, you automatically, I know you're Jewish. Every Jew I know, bald, no problem. No, no. I think, again, Paul was able to share the gospel because he was clear on the gospel. He said over, and you can see that in our text, that you must repent and you must come to faith. The only way you'll be rescued is for you owning your sin and recognizing you need a Savior. I'm not going to soft soap that. Nothing else church attendance doesn't do it. Being good at, you know, in neighborhoods and whatever. That doesn't satisfy. You know what satisfies? Is an authentic relationship with Jesus. And I faithfully shared the gospel. No matter who the audience, Jew or Greek. Isn't that amazing how we change in audiences? Isn't it? It, it, it is so normal to talk and act a certain way at work. Just is. On the ball field, in your neighborhood, and in church. It is. But Paul said, <laughs> it didn't matter my audience. It, it just didn't. What mattered to me is that I had hope. I had the gospel. I had the good news. I had the life-transforming message of Jesus. And I was able to share it. It did not matter who. I did it publicly, crowds, and in your homes. And then this next statement, honestly, folks, if this doesn't haunt you tonight... He says this, it is not my fault if anyone I have ever met goes to hell. I mean, I've read that over. <laughs> okay, I mean, uh, what does that mean, Paul? I mean, seriously, what does that mean? I think it means one thing, is that wherever Paul went and however Paul communicated, he is able to say to these Ephesian elders that nobody I've had contact with, not any family member, not anybody at the market, not anybody anywhere that I have gone and had a conversation with, if they go to hell, if they're separated from God for all of eternity, it's not because they didn't know Are you kidding me? Maybe, Paul, if you read in Ezekiel, Ezekiel had a prophetic ministry. And there's one thing at least that came to mind to me is that God called Ezekiel to be a faithful watchman. And back in that time, and you can see this in Ezekiel 3 and, and all the way through the book, but also at the end of the book, but it was Ezekiel's job to sound the alarm when he saw danger. If the citizens, or a watchman's position, if, a, if, if the citizens chose not to listen to the warning, they would have no one to blame except themselves. But... um. A watchman's job was to declare when there was danger, was to shout, was to make sure everybody knew. And I think that is what Paul saw himself. 
And I got to ask a question, not, not only for me, but for you. And honestly, you talk about wrestling. <laughs> Lord, I can skip this part. This is so convicting to me. Maybe we'll cover it next year. But can you imagine getting to a place in your life where you could say what Paul said? And remember, I think the key to sharing the gospel is not being so articulate or so seminary educated or understanding Greek and Hebrew. I think the key is being overwhelmed by God's grace. And believing in your heart that the gospel changes people. They change them now and they change them forever. And so my question is this. The key to not sharing the gospel might be not being overwhelmed by God's grace. Might be not really believing that the gospel is life transforming. Then Paul goes in his next section. He says, this was my life with you at Ephesus. I wanted you to understand it because I'm going to give you an assignment, an assignment that God's going to give you. But I want you to understand the three years that I was with you. I modeled this for you. But I need to give you this assignment. And look at verse 28. In your Bibles, verse 28, Paul says this. So guard yourself. Elders, elders, I just gave you an understanding of my ministry to you. But you, guard yourselves and guard God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his sheep, his, sheep, his church. Purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. It's simple. Shepherd the Ephesian flock. Now what's not so simple is shepherding the Ephesian flock. But that was the assignment. The assignment was shepherd the flock. You've seen me care for people. Now you do it. And by the way, he starts off, I want this to start with you. Oh, this is convicting. He says, I want you to watch your life. I want you to guard yourselves. The word here is an interesting word. It's the same word used to give a charge to a soldier or a sentry whose first responsibility was to stay awake. If he failed at that, all would be lost. He was to continually scan the area for intruders in order to protect himself and others. So Paul says this, first thing I want you to do, I want you to shepherd the flock, but you can't shepherd the flock if you don't watch your life, if you don't guard your life. Paul reminded them as leaders that he had entrusted them that God had entrusted them with priceless treasure kids, his kids, his church, in like centuries at their posts, they must be vigilant and diligent. Now the enemy's strategy is quite simple. Be selfish, be a hedonist. Care only about your own self, your own desires. He does not want you to realize that any sin, any rebellion against God results in death. And in some cases, if you reject God, eternal. So we must recognize the enemy's tactics and be on guard. That's all. He's going to try to deceive us. He's going to try to offer us false hope and false excitement. That's his job. But God's strategy is also simple. He says this, I want a relationship with you. I want you to listen to me. I want you to spend time with me. 
Because spending time with me gives you life abundant and eternal. Now you've been with, so many of you have been with us, and you know this is so rudimentary. But realistically, you can't have a relationship with God if you've never come to Him by faith. And once you become a child of God, then you can't have a relationship with God if there's sin in your life. And so a healthy relationship with God is a healthy time of repenting over and over and over again. It's repenting of the way you think. It's repenting of the way you you talk. It's repenting of how unkind you were or X, Y, Z. It's confessing your sin. Cleaning. Again, one of the grandest of all verses in all the Bible is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is awesome, but what's really cool is you can talk to God again. God will talk to you again. He will guide you and He will direct you. So rebelling against God or sinning against God isn't just a slap on the hand. It absolutely stops a relationship with Him. So God says, be clean, be godly, be holy. These are all the same words. And it's necessary not only for leaders, but for every believer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 23, Paul writes this, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. God will make you holy. For he is the one who calls you and he is faithful. You see, this was directly to leaders, but it applies to everybody. You may be gifted to do some work which God has called you. But you won't have a ministry if you're not godly, if you're not walking with God. If you don't repent often, the first priority for anyone involved in leadership is a relationship with God, a healthy relationship with God. You know, Paul tells Timothy, maybe his closest mentor, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, it says, keep a close watch on how you live. Same, same advice there. Be careful how you live, Timothy, and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of all those who hear you. Let me say this, and this may shock some people, but but hear what I'm saying. Leaders don't have a higher standard. Actually, elders don't have a higher standard. They have more accountability. It's interesting, if you want to read the qualifications of elders or of other church leaders, especially in Titus chapter 1, go ahead and read through that. The truth is, every one of us ought to be responding and acting toward others exactly the same way that Titus 1 states. It's nothing different. It isn't. But what is different is that elders or church leaders are held accountable for them. So what does guarding your life and growing in godliness look like? Why don't you turn with me very quickly. Uh, My time is evaporating here, but but we're going to go here anyway. Uh, Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Just the first three verses there. Maybe you've even memorized Psalm chapter 1. But this is what the psalmist writes. In other words, uh, how do you want to grow in godliness? How do you want to grow in character? Uh, This is what the psalmist writes. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So what does guarding your life look like for leaders and for us? What does growing in godliness look like? I, I think in Psalm 1, first of all, you don't follow the advice of the wicked. You don't. 
Secondly, you don't hang out with sinners and mockers. Those aren't your best friends. It doesn't mean you don't go into Woodman's. Pretty sure. All right? But it does mean the closest friends that you have are not ones who don't walk with God. Then thirdly, what the psalmist says, delight in God's law. You want to grow in godliness. You want to guard your life. Grow in your understanding and then meditate on it. Meditate on the law. If you do, you will be like a tree that bears much fruit. So, watch your flock. Guard God's people. First of all, you are to guard your own life. Secondly, let's guard the flock. A godly leader's second priority is the spiritual care of his spiritual flock. We're to protect the flock as elders from predators, those outside the walls and those inside the walls. We're also to protect the flock from their from themselves. I call it from off thinking, from not understanding biblical truth, and to be able to guide them back on a road so they understand what God's Word is saying. According to our text, we're to feed the flock. We're to teach them the whole counsel of the Word, to encourage them to obey. If you're new to our church, we're a church, or you have a pastor who teaches expositorily. That means we go through books, and there are times we hit topics, but realistically, I am so convinced that as we walk through the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit gives each one of us everything we need for that day, for that week, for our time in our life. There isn't just one point, there's many points, and the Spirit's able to teach us the Word will build us up. The Word will give us an inheritance because of our obedience. And the Word will foster a dependence on God rather than on you. And then lastly, Paul says this to the elders. He said, entrust the flock to God and to His Word. I I'm doing that to you. I am leaving but I've spent three years with you. I've taught you. We've done ministry together. So I just want you to know I am out of here. But I'm going to entrust you, your leadership to God. God is someone who is honored among you. He will convict you. He will strengthen you. He will guide you. I'm going to trust God to do that. And that's how it is with our kids someday. I don't know when it is. Sometimes you can do that with someone who's 16. Other times it's hard to entrust them to God when they're 30. But the truth is, is that Paul was able to say this. He goes, let God do his work in the saints. And lastly, what Paul says in this text is elders embrace your leadership embrace it God has assigned you and appointed you for this task I don't know how many elders were there at the Ephesian church but he says we've chosen God has chosen you to lead one of the things Paul said in his testimony is he never shrank back from telling them the truth. An elder worth his salt is someone that walks with God, that knows the truth, and is unashamed to be able to share truth in love. So, Paul is telling these elders, guard yourselves and guard the flock. It's important. Now the question begs to be answered. We have Paul's ministry example and his words to church leaders. There are some church leaders right here and, and some of you are in ministry leadership positions. 
but some are not. What has God talked to you about today? What has He encouraged you to do differently? Because if you leave even this morning, today, and God's Word makes no impact in your life, That'd be tough. God's working. The Holy Spirit's convicting. And maybe it's not one thing. Maybe it's a plethora of things that God just has your attention. I think that's one of the things as we leave and as we reflect. God, what are you doing? What are you changing? What do you want me to obey? I need to listen to you. You see, God's mission is unfinished sharing the good news, making disciples, and encouraging others on the journey. I'm going to close just with this illustration. It's one as a youth pastor that lots of youth pastors use all the time because high school students especially, sometimes they're not so smart. That's all. Sometimes. Sometimes they're real smart. But one of the things you would sit down with high school students especially is, is there, is there some way that you can picture, what do you want on your tombstone? Tombstone? Ah, I'm living forever. I, I know, I know, but work with me here. Let's just say you're at least really old, 50 years old, you know, and you die. What would you want on your tombstone? I think that's a good question for all of us. Because realistically, life is short. It is. And we're all going to see Jesus really soon as judge or as Savior. And, and whatever God has given you left on this planet may be the idea of understanding why you're here, what you need to do, what you want to be remembered for. But wouldn't that be amazing if on all of our tombstones it said, servant of God, one who listened and shared the good news boldly wherever he went. Let's pray. Father, I thank you I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for the good news. I thank you, dear God, that you are patient with us. We are sorry and we grieve at times when we recognize that the gospel is faded, that the message seems to be old. Oh, Lord, ignite us. Help us understand all that we have, the privileges that we have, the opportunities that you've given us. We will never, ever, ever regret boldly sharing the gospel. Give us courage to do that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.